You're listening to the Physics Ed Podcast. For hundreds of ideas, free experiments and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. And now, here's your host, Ben Newsom. It's family book form, and we're hanging out with the founder, Carrie Furs, to find out what does family book form do and how could you use this in a science context. Well, really briefly, it takes oral information, you know, the stories, the things that people are saying, and creates a scaffold for kids to publish a real book, an actual page turner. Kids making their own book around their science experiments could just be a really interesting hook that you could use with your science teaching. So let's hang out with Carrie Furs and find out all about it. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're all about science, ed tech and more. To see 100 fun free experiments you can do with your class, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. And click 100 free experiments. Well, I was a former English teacher a long time ago, but more recently I've had writing roles my whole life and a couple of books published But what I tried to create was um, uh, a way to document content easily. So I wanted to create a template page that people could just speak into it. They can invite other people to contribute content to it. So it's sort of like an evolution of Word or Google Docs that um, there's a template page. So you sort of follow prompts. You can follow the question prompts. You can interview people. um, And it's just collecting content that's important to you into a page and it automatically formats that content into a book. So I um, wanted to, you know, sort of capture all this uh, information that sort of gets lost because people can't be bothered. So um, I launched it as a memoir creating tool for retirees. And I was doing save your story or create your memoir workshops at libraries and libraries would market to their communities to come to the library and and create your memoir. And the, the oldies really wanted to have the end book product but um, they didn't want to use technology and uh, they were a bit nervous around it. But what they really consistently said was that they wanted their grandchildren to ask them about their lives and and talk to them. And I thought, well, how do you get these kids to ask questions that they don't really have the maturity to know to ask? Or um, of course they love their family, they love their grandparents, but often kids are busy with life and um, you know, they're, they're Uh, parents are busy with life so grandparents tend to be uh, sidebarred a little bit and with communities um, being more isolated and and dispersed grandparents aren't in um, kid grandchildren's lives necessarily now so it's sort of that was the genesis of getting um, uh, grandchildren to interview their grandparents and it sort of uh, grew from there and morphed into a product that is just a documentation tool to scaffold Uh, inquiry learning so kids uh, can interview anybody so then it turns not just into biography as a service but qualitative research so this is teaching kids about primary source content going in actually interviewing people Uh, they have um, uh, ways to personalize and differentiated ways to collect the content so they can use the speech to text they can um, just write directly into the page or they can invite other people to contribute into the page so this is um, uh, you know I wanted it to be a resource that not only helped the students but helped the teachers as well so teachers can just sort of assign the the book creating link 
and students then can access all the functionality within that dashboard. So instead of teachers having to hold their hand the whole time and instruct on how to write a sentence or how to interview somebody or what to ask, uh, the scaffolding was sort of within the dashboard. So it sort of uh, outsourced the instruction to uh, directly to the students within the dashboard, but also outsourced collaborations so that the uh, parents and grandparents and communities were brought in to help instruct and help motivate those students as well. So um, I was trying to sort of outsource all of the work involved from the teacher to um, out to the community and out to the families. Does that make sense? <laughs> it does. It, it, I mean, I can imagine how uh, powerful this would be, especially on a large project. I mean, you think of all the different moving parts that are happening projects, especially when you've got, you know, five kids, six kids, eight kids, or a whole class or more working on a thing. There's a lot of stuff happening that I yeah. suspect uh, gets dropped and just gets missed or no one had time to write it down or whatever. That sounds really useful. Yeah. Well, also, um, I know there's a lot of uh, collaboration within classes you know there's a lot of trying to get kids to collaborate with each other which is great so I was not wanting to compete with that or add to that what I wanted was to have kids collaborate outside of the classroom initially with their family because it's a safe environment um, and it's a fun project to interview grandma about their life and, or you know the neighbor or someone like that but getting these kids to go and collect content from outside, collaborating with other people, and then bring that content into the classroom. So you're getting all these kids collaborating on and enjoying all this disparate content that comes from outside. So whether it's a, a class that the teacher is teaching English and it's biography, or whether it's social studies or history, then the content that the kids have brought in, they can actually play the, uh, the audio file of the interview that they've done with a migrant or with um, a minority person or a first responder or a vet veteran from the community. So all the kids can enjoy the spoken story from a, a grandparent or another person. Uh, so it's, you know, real voice. And so then they can collaboratively work on uh, editing that content or, um, you know, formatting that content into the, the finished product or discussing, enriching the class lessons and discussing. Um, and so it can be used by the teacher for um, uh, an example in their explicit lesson. So it, yeah, other than just using uh, stale textbooks all the time. Well, one of the things is that they're creating their own textbooks. This is really cool yes. because, I mean, I mean, this is very much a science podcast, STEM podcast, and you often think yes. about the usual things that get put out are my experiment report, what I yes. did, or <laughs> I did my podcast on the thing, whatever it is. Uh, but I remembered, I was recounting a story just prior to hit record on this particular chat uh, about, I mean, I think I was in year two or year three or something. I can't remember now, but it was a long time ago. Uh, but I remember being reasonably jealous of a class where the teacher actually organized the students work to get published, like really published, like in a hardcover book published. And yeah. like, you know, you're like you're seven or eight years old and you're looking at these kids walking around with a book, with a hardcover, with their own, you know, the picture of themselves and they're all happy on it. How did you do that? Like, I mean, like, I mean, it's, it's, books are like these sacred objects in a library and going, how, do, how on earth do you get on a page, let alone you're in year two or year three. That's right. You've got a book. <laughs> 
Well, this, this is part of the, the um, universal design learning framework. And it's one of the components that um, is the, you know, the, the how, what, why of learning. And it's part of the why, you know, why, what motivates kids to be interested. And it, it doesn't matter if it's a literacy uh, project or whether it's a STEM project, um, what engages kids to be interested. And so, um, Create, having a polished book at the end that is a tangible example or reflection or collation of their of their learnings of their work um, they're very proud to present that and you know there was an example just recently of a year seven uh, boy at a, a Sydney school high school um, that typically is a lower socioeconomic school and the parents aren't necessarily that well educated. So education isn't valued that much. But so these boys aren't interested in reading and writing. They're not interested in the English lessons. And so the teachers struggle to get them interested. So um, they did a biography project where they interviewed uh, someone of their choice. And one of the boys, um, he created, this is an illiterate boy, could barely string a sentence together, but he wrote a hundred page book because he was interested, you know, and his family um, bought into it. The family were helping him. And so you get the whole family unit coming together in a fantastic activity, but the tangible product at the end is not only a reflection of the whole learning, but it's valuable to that family. So that kid feels very proud to present it. And um, it can be monetized as well. You know, if you, you can, um, classes can do a collaborative recipe book. You know, there's been a popular project with the lockdown cookbook and all the kids are contributing to a class um, book their favorite uh, recipe or what they did, what recipes they were cooking during lockdown and photos of them cooking and reflections on why that recipe um, is popular in their family, you know, and then it comes down to uh, culture and migration and, um, you know, uh, religious values and things like that within families, you know, and it's all documented through food. So you can subversively get kids educated and interested through these sort of backdoor, um, it's almost gamification. And, you know, gamification has always been about distracting kids with bells and whistles and, and their learning without them even knowing it. But the problem uh, with a lot of gamification technology is that it is all bells and whistles and there's not much deep learning happening. Um, and also that's triggering brain hormones like dopamine and adrenaline, which can then be a slippery slope to addiction and, and things like that. But when the kids are actually talking with someone and they're using communication skills and they're, they're, they're bonding, whether it's with their family or someone in the community and they're listening and all these, um, all these fantastic communication skills that are going by the wayside now with kids doing everything online. And, it, you know, so they're, they're practicing listening, they're practicing thinking about what they're going to ask next. And, um, and that releases the, the um, oxytocin chemical in their brain. So, which is the chemical that's very, very positive for love and bonding and uh, generating um, feelings of security and, uh, and resilience and all of these great brain chemical um, you know, effects. So this is what I've tried to achieve with scaffolding these sort of inquiry learning projects. Um, and I know this is a STEM, um, podcast. So it doesn't matter what you're documenting, but getting the kids to actually um, articulate a question is a vital component of science and scientific research. And it's like, what is the question? What is 
what, what is an important question to ask? So sometimes you have to sort of inquire into the community, um, what is the problem here? So you can identify a big question and then you can start um, engineering solutions. But you, if you don't ask the right questions in the first place, um, then it doesn't matter what uh, skills you've got in engineering and critical analysis and all of this, you, you need to be understanding and having a, um, a broad perspective within a community and get lots of people's feedback and input. What is the problem? And identify the problem before you start creating solutions. I think it's really powerful. I mean, especially when you think about what you described with a year seven student, you yep. know, low literacy levels and they produce a hundred page book. That's fantastic. And I think about uh, what happens in a scientific, you know, you know lesson, there's some big words going on. There's a lot of stuff going on, uh, but it might be hard to articulate with the written word, especially if the kid is illiterate to be able to, to write a thing, but the child might be able to describe it well. That's right. Yes. So this is another way, another mode of and, communicating language. And maybe another way to get girls interested because girls are, are better communicators. And so this might be a way that uh, girls become interested in science because you get them to go and actually talk to people and interview people in a community and then they can identify what is a problem in this community or, or um, you know, identify an issue in a certain uh, geographical space or something like that. And then you can start addressing all the STEM science um, initiatives and technologies and vocabulary. But you've already got the, the girls interested because they've bonded with the people. So then my, you know, there's usefulness there too. Absolutely. I'm actually just thinking, so, I mean, uh, teachers love shaping their own lessons to be able to fit their own needs. And that, that makes sense. It's, it's their classroom, not ours. And yeah. so I kind of wonder, so using this tool, can they, use, can they insert their own questions, their own guiding questions to help the kids as a stimulus, or they use the backbone that you've created? Uh, both. So um, the most basic version of this technology um, is that the teacher can send an automated link to a class of kids or up to, you know, 200 odd kids. Um, and the, each, each student clicks on that link and they have a template page. So whatever the question is that the teacher is wanting them to respond to content and give content is on the left-hand side of that page. So the student can see what the, the teacher wants. So they can uh, type content into that page, they can upload photos and they click submit. And then all the students' content is automatically formatted into a collaborative class book. That's the most basic version of the technology. But the, the ideal um, use of the tech, and what we created it for was that the teacher would send the link to each student and they would create their own book themselves. And so then the student has got the dashboard and within that dashboard is different template pages and question prompts. So they can turn those questions off if they want to, but it doesn't matter because the questions don't appear in the book, only what they type into the answer box or speak into the answer box. So, um, you know, the business is called uh, book form. So now it's called family book form. But the idea was that creating a book is as easy as filling in a form. So there's a a question prompt and an answer box and a question prompt and an answer box. So whatever is inputted into that answer box is what is automatically formatted into the book. So the students can ask their own questions. Um, they can, uh, you know, use the questions. Some of them as a prompt. There's um, topic prompts. And so they can go through the different topics and choose 
what you know topics are more, more appropriate to ask somebody but it, yes it's just a prompt uh, you know they it doesn't appear in the book the kids can ask whatever they want oh awesome and uh, I, was, I mean you're clearly passionate about this <laughs> just a little bit uh, <laughs> what kicked that passion off oh goodness that is a big question <laughs> oh no um i i thought technology is fantastic and um you know it's leveraging technology for a for a difficult task and so um you know just like the the egyptians built pyramids and it wasn't the aliens that came down and helped them it was them leveraging a lot of people and and leveraging um, weights and, and, and using science to actually build the pyramid. It's possible with, with a number of people and leveraging. So I wanted um, students to use technology as a tool to leverage what they're already doing. So uh, teachers are already getting kids to read something, watch a video, go and do something, and then write about it. And so that limits kids because they have to um, uh, know, they have to type into a, a blank page or, um, you know, they need a lot of instruction from the teacher of how to structure it, how to format it, you know, what, what, what passions do I have? What do I want to write about? So there's a lot of time spent with that. And it's unnecessary time, I think. So if you use technology as a tool um, and all the scaffolding and the instruction is within the dashboard, the kid has different ways of collecting the content and um, you know if maybe if they're uh, dyslexic kids then they, their typing isn't that great then they can just speak into the page or um, <clears throat> excuse me they can interview someone in another language maybe grandparents or someone in the community speaks a different language from that student they can use technology to record the spoken answer and they can translate it transcribe it directly into their page that's a great use of leveraging technology for good isn't it absolutely i mean and one thing's got to be said i mean you know as a parent when my kids bring back their their assignments they might show what they've done in their exercise book or maybe a video they've done i tell you what i'd be pretty impressed if i if they go thud (laughs) (laughs) here's my book dad yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah. you wrote a book oh, that that's really cool I mean, and how chuffed would that child be saying I've, I've written a real book absolutely well we did this project with year nine kids where they went into an aged care business and so it, the aged care business bought the technology licenses the book creating licenses and donated it to the school and the student each student was matched with a resident and went to the aged care once a week and interviewed their resident for an hour and they just followed the prompts and sometimes they created their own questions sometimes they went off topic but at the end of that they had created a a memoir or biography on their person and they were so proud to present that and those book presentation uh, ceremonies at the end of the project had hundreds of families there the residents families the students families everyone crying and laughing but they were just so um, impressed with what the kids had created and the kids actually hadn't done that much because that's what technology is good at doing. You know, it automates formatting, it automates creating a polished book product. And so, um, you know, they were very pleased with with what they had uh, managed to achieve and it's valuable. And so those residents' families bought the books as well. So there's opportunities for schools to raise money using this technology because if they're they're creating 
you know, favorite recipe books in the community or, um, you know, biographies as a service or qualitative research on first responders or, or veterans or things like that, however is important or uh, documenting bushfires in their regions or whatever it is, um, that's valuable. And so families want to buy that product at the end or communities want to buy it. And so um, it's not just some school kids project that only mum loves, you know, the whole community potentially really values that uh, primary source research. Well, one of the things that um, comes up, you know, involved in quite a few chats around artificial intelligence and where it's useful in the school and where it might be positive or a negative effect and everything else. I kind of wonder, have you had a, the feedback going, well, what about our high achieving students? Does the formatting, all that stuff being done for them, does that impinge upon their learning or are they leveraging technology in a way that we kind of want to do as adults in the first place? I'm just, I'm just curious. I mean, what, what are your thoughts around that? Well, we specifically created this as not a design product. And so um, the, the competitive book creating technologies, uh, Book Creator, and uh, Google, Google Slides, and even Word has, um, you know, products that I, um, Apple has a, a book creating product. So their main focus is always around design. And so kids spend a lot of time and get very, very distracted with changing fonts and changing colors. And, and they, it takes away from the actual content of what they're writing about. And it doesn't become a written work or a scientific work or, or a primary source documentation. It becomes an art, art project. And so Although I do try and push um, STEAM rather than just STEM, mm -hmm. <laughs> I think there does need to be an art and creativity component. But ours is, um, it's the, the structure of the book is automated um, and prompts for questions to help, you know, ask questions and things like that. But it's to get the kids focused on the actual content and to be asking the right questions and to be critically analysing the answers and then to reflect back on the all the content that you've collected from a di dispersed um, group of people so that is the focus not design so that, that that was what we tried to create now that makes sense and you kind of think of all the the epic uh novels that have been you know created over the years the the the, the, the huge books the literature the ones that people always refer to there's not many real design aspects there. They're just words on a page. Just, That's right. Just, just constructed yeah. incredibly well. Yeah. But this is, you've got to get the kids um, used to looking at text on a page. It's not about cartoons and animation and, you know, GIFs and all this sort of things now. There are places for that. There's, there's um, platforms that they go to for that. But they do have to also become used to looking at masses of blocks of text and being engaged with it and being able to read it and be able to be um, able to analyze it and, and understand and broaden their vocabulary and things like this. So it's, um, it's just trying to get them exposed to it in, in a soft, nice, comfortable, uh, exciting way before you ju they just have blocks and blocks of text that they've got to look at and analyze and they don't care and they have no, no attachment to the text, you know, maybe whether it's Shakespeare or whether it's um, some dry poet or something like this, you know, um, it's hard to get kids interested in text that they're not interested in, you know. Yeah, it's kind of begs the question. So if, if I had uh, a group of 30 students, just say they're about middle school age, give or take, uh, and I wanted them to create, you know, I want this piece of content, this, this thing created at the end of it, a six-week, eight-week, 10-week, 12-week process, whatever the project is about, what are the first steps to be able to get the kids ready 
to know what's about to come up and so they make the most use of the technology that's in front of them? Well, how would they normally document it? They'd normally document it on a, in a workbook, maybe a hyperdoc, maybe a slide, Google slide, or a blank page. So with our template page, the teacher just sends an automated link to this, each of the, all of the students, and those students open their template page, they've got the question on the side, and they can just write directly into that page. So they can log in and out over, you know, a six-week, eight-week term or whatever. They can keep documenting whether they're using it as a journal to document their, their journey, whether they're using it to um, uh, collect content into that page of other research that they're doing. It's they're just documenting it straight into that page. They can upload photos. And then at the end or whenever the deadline is, they can submit it. And not until they've submitted um, can the teacher see it or um, so that students can edit their content up until they submit. And once it's submitted, it's in the teacher's collaborative class book the teacher can then edit it reformat it if they want but it's just a collation into a polished book product of all the students work so you wouldn't the teachers wouldn't be using this for every project you know there's there's um, some projects it's not appropriate for but some teachers have used it for uh, mother's day books or far grand grandparents day books for example where kids are doing a poem and maybe a photo or a picture a painting of their mother and they submit that and it creates the, um, all the students uh, poems and artwork within a book and it's a nice little give to the parents it's the same for the, the recipe book for example each student um, documents their favorite recipe some photos of them cooking they submit and it automatically creates the class collaborative recipe book and they can showcase that on uh, the smart board in the classroom they can discuss it they can talk about um, you know migration they can talk about uh, uh, the science of, of cooking, if that's a, one of the lessons, but they can use their content for whatever the lesson is. And so that's what collaborative um, books can be all about. And the other ones, are if the students are going and collecting their own content, then they're bringing brand new, fresh, authentic voice into the class. And that's super interesting, gets kids really um, interested and engaged and involved. It is eventually about authentic voice, right? This is yeah. the, these are the kids' own words. <laughs> that's it's right. It's the whole point, and and the fact that it's speech to text really means that there's the the chance of there being plagiarism is pretty low because it's the, that's what they said during a real interview. That's right, exactly. <laughs> Which yeah. is really important. Absolutely. Really. Hey, I just want to carry. So there'll be people listening in, just going, you know what? This is interesting. Where do I find this stuff? Where do I go? <laughs> Yes, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> so it's familybookform.com. And so any teacher can sign up for free and then you have access to one free book creating dashboard. And so that's where you could create your free collaborative book. And um, some good examples during COVID were teachers sending the automated link to their class of students and asking the question, you know, how has COVID affected you? And so all the kids documented what they were doing and how they were coping, uploaded photos of their workspaces at home, and that automatically created the COVID and me um, collaborative class book. So this, teachers can create those sort of books or they can create a, a class recipe book. And that's a free book creating um, a demo book that the teachers can do and then you can see all the functionality of what the students would see and then from there you can add a project it's ten dollars for a book creating license per student 
and that goes it's available for a year so instead of doing um, a microsoft uh, you know subscription and you can have unlimited blank pages for a year this is a book creating license it creates one book whether it's the teacher creates it or the student creates it so just go to familybookform.com thanks so much carrie look this be really fascinating chat and it's certainly an area that uh I mean, I think about all the project-based learning things that are happening in, I mean, classrooms around the globe these days, it's, it is a big deal. I kind of, again, think about the central question, which is how many things get lost, yeah. don't get documented throughout that process. And this is a real opportunity to pick some of those pieces up. Absolutely. I hope so. And, tell, and we're a Google for Education partner, and so we comply with all the, the student privacy and the, and the data storage requirements. And we've, we're always looking for case studies. If you want to showcase what project you've documented in your community, then um, let us know. We'd love to showcase it. And we've got a monthly book creating uh, cash prize every month is $100. Um, and we get prizes from other businesses donating different laptops and different technologies. So check it out on the website and have a look at other um, example case studies on our website. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carrie, for hanging on this podcast. It's been awesome chatting with you. Thank you, Ben. See you. This is the Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Grab a copy of our new book, Be Amazing, How to Teach Science the Way Primary Kids Love, from our website. Just search Be Amazing Book. It's available in hard copy and ebook. Go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. Well, there we go. We just hung up with Carrie Furs, who is the founder of Family Book Form. And if you want to find out a little bit more about what Family Book Form can do with your classroom, head on over to the website, familybookform.com. Really easy to get started. And it's all about creating speech to text that rule, as you heard from Carrie, can really make a difference when it comes to kids understanding about their subject and maybe publish about what they've been doing. Really, really, really handy. So uh, that is enough of this particular episode. I hope you've enjoyed this. You've been hanging out with me. Ben Newsom from Physics Education. This is the Phys Ed Podcast, and I'll catch you another time. You've been listening to another Physics Ed Podcast. We're excited about science. Subscribe to us on iTunes to download the next episode as soon as it's released. And don't forget, for hundreds of ideas, free experiments, our new Be Amazing book, and more, go to physicseducation.com.au. That's physics spelled F-I-Z-Z-I-C-S. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au